Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Yep, that'd be me. How you doing? Welcome to Friday. Thank God. My siblings have gotten me through this uh, week. My sister uh, was on earlier, and uh, today I'm unveiling my my older brother, older brother, Bill. Hey, Bill. Hi. Yes. Am I uh, am I through the maze of numbers one must call to get out? <laughs> yeah, you did it. Hey. Boy. I was a little worried about you, but yeah, you got yeah. on. You're you're on, and we're hearing you loud and clear. You gotta wait. Good. You gotta wait for a second, Bill, while I uh, brag on you a little bit in my, okay. you know, introducing you. Okay. Don't you hate it when you have to sit through someone introducing you and you know where they're gonna say, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." You know what I mean? Yep. Well, I'm gonna it's do embarrassing. it. All right. Well. It's, what, right. What? It's what? I mean, is that unless? You, well, I mean, you could say things that aren't. You know, that diss me, and then it wouldn't be. Then it would just be enraging instead of embarrassing. But usually, yes, introductions are are just awful, and nobody wants to hear them anyway. They want to get to the chase. Well, I think that's often true, but I do want to. I I'm sorry. I want. Who wrote this? I went to the bio at in the of you in the University of Michigan Law School uh, puts out. Uh, yeah. Did you write that? I don't know, did I? I mean, what did it say? I sure hope not, because it says, listen to this. This is what I hate about the academy, as I understand you call it. It says, his research centers on Saga Iceland, from whence the materials studied in his course Blood Feuds. Oh, from you know, when? I might have written that, just, ah, I, yeah. I mean, in, a, in, in self-parody. I don't know. I, I, you don't yeah, know if you wrote that? He has also... Yeah, you know, okay. I, okay, I am my father's son. He would have said something like uh, that. Yeah, Wentz, he would have. And then he also has written about emotions, mostly unpleasant ones, involving self-assessment. Now, I actually appreciated that line because I always have trouble explaining to people, you know, the subject matter of so many of your books. But... Um, Self, uh, uh, unpleasant ones, emotions, unpleasant ones involving self-assessment. So you get books like Humiliation, um, The Anatomy of Disgust, and I didn't know this, Bill, named the best book of 1997 in anthropology and sociology by the Association of American Publishers. Yeah. yeah I don't remember see? that. Well, that's pretty cool. You didn't even know I, I won that, huh? No, and then there's The Mystery of Courage, which I love, Faking yeah. It, which I love, and losing it, where yes. which is about you growing old, and right. I didn't know. That, maybe I did. The Chicago Tribune named that uh, to its list of best books of the year, as did the Canadian yeah, top ten. Yeah, as sure. did the Canadian, a whole country's magazine, Maclean's. Is that how it's pronounced, Maclean's? Yeah. Uh, top ten nonfiction books of 2011. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. She whiz. Yeah. Well, geez, Bill. And nobody reads them anyway, you know, so there you are. <laughs> and then... Because <laughs> I use words like whence, you know. Yeah, that's right. So. And here, and here's the next one in the bio that I don't understand. Eye for an Eye, another book, uh, uh, written in 2006 or published then, is an extended treatment of the law of the talion. What the... 
Yeah, that that? you don't know that? The law of Italian. That's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. What's Italian? The lex, the lex talionis. It's Latin, but it's the law of retaliation. No, I never, I didn't know no. that. I mean, I know an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the lex, that's the law of Italian, not Talon, but Talion, T-A-L-I-O-N. Okay. So you learn something new every day. I do. You know, I, mean, I do. Lynn. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Um, and blah 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 blah. And he's a visiting professor. He's, he's he. You've been a visitor at a lot of places: Yale, the University yeah. of Chicago, University of Bergen, University of Tel Aviv, Harvard, and yeah. oh, and and now you're the uh, at the University of St Andrews. You're the honorary professor of history. Yeah. And something else. You're a Carnegie Centenary guy. Well, I was that, yeah, for uh, that for oh. a while. Well, but, that's okay. pretty cool. All right, I'm done. I'm done. See, you don't this. even know these things about me. Well, you know, you don't brag about them much. No, I don't. You know, you remind me of George H.W. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you brag about anything in the academic world, all it does is get the giggles from people who aren't academics. I mean, you know, it's just like, what's there to brag about? It, you know, you write books nobody reads, and, and <laughs> so what's the, you know, it's a joke. Well, but some academics are willing to make their books more accessible, more accessible to a wider audience, which you could, yes, and, you could and have done. Yes, some and do so that legitimately uh, do it in a way that doesn't dumb down the subject do it in a way that's honest to the subject and then some are just whoring i mean they just want to get on you know uh uh to be a talking head on tv and uh okay. are shameless name some of uh people i won't way. name any names but you can fill in blanks from your <laughs> own experience <laughs> okay um <clears throat> okay so I, I've asked Bill, I mean, I am so sick of talking about the horrors of uh, the current... Uh, uh, Death spiral of the country? Yeah. Yes, right. I, I just can't. So I thought it'd be better to talk about other stuff, but that all of the stuff we'll talk about does, of course, reflect back. And You know, Bill, I want to, before we get into what I told you we want to talk about, I heard myself say something on the show a few days ago, and I couldn't get it out of my head, I still can't, because I thought it was the most naive, juvenile thing. And yet I, I still want to cry it from the rooftops. I, I was talking about how everything in this culture is competitive and how I just can't stand it, how, you know, even poetry now is you know, competitive and, and uh, you know, dance is competitive and this is competitive. And I said, why does everything always have to be about winners and losers? And yeah. that's juvenile, Well, right? I mean, everything is competitive. And, and I actually think like whole, I imagine, I always wondered what it was like to be the the person in the Buddhist system who utterly empties himself of all passions and trying to care where he stands in the order. And he's, I don't, I, I've emptied myself of all passions, but then he's looking down at the mountaintop and somebody's gaining on him who's even emptier about caring about those <laughs> things than he is. And it's just like, I'm first, I'm first, absolutely first in being non-competitive. Well, you know what? So how do you? Yeah. So it, it, as soon as you make co non-competition 
the badge of honor, people will compete to be non-competitive. The most non-competitive. And look at the crap that happens with the kids, raising kids nowadays. Oh, you can't have a most valuable player on the kids' soccer team, even though everybody knows who's good and who isn't. Everybody wins the MVP. Oh, my God. Yeah, Yeah. that's non-competitive. Right. 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 Yeah, right. Okay, so then. Yeah, sure. All right, Bill. So it's human nature. I mean, it is. Well, I, I mean, em- yeah, some, you, you can emphasize it in different ways. Christianity always had this problem where you want to make uh, humility a virtue. And so if you make humility a virtue, then people start to be proud of being humble. But that's the and big you thing now. Right, these, right. these catch-22s. Right. So, you know, you're just like, like, hey, I'm number one in the humility racket. And then you get this kind of competitive holiness, like which saint can uh, – whip themselves the hardest or stand in cold water the longest or fast the longest okay. or, you know, All stuff right. like that. Well, there's a, it's, there's, a, it, it's it, fierce competition. What else? How else would you want it? Okay. Uh, you I know, mean, you're I, in a racket that's been competitive from the get-go. True. I mean, we're competitive within our family. Yes. And what would you rather be, last place in the podcast world? Huh? <laughs> oh, that's being non-competitive. Right. <laughs> Okay, so it just goes. Okay. I mean, there's ugly ways to do it, and there's playing by the rules. So you have systems of competition in which you have rules, and then there's there's ways to to compete in ways that people will accept as legit. And then there's cheating, and every system has cheating. You know, cheats, and they often get ahead. Yes, they often do. Yes. Well, you, I've, been, I've been noticing that when somebody is honored these days, they almost always say, I, or they win something, I am so humbled by this. <laughs> which, oh, yeah, which right. Is, of course, That's an obligatory, I mean, obligatory false modesty, you know, where right. you have to, if, you, if you're the kid who, who just, uh, you know, made a great play on the sports field or you were the one who got an A in the class, you always say it's, oh, I just got lucky or something like that, because what you're scared of is other people's envying you. And when people envy you, they don't wish you well, you know? So what you have to do is placate the people you beat. So you do that with false modesty. And the modesty is obviously false, but there's ways to do false modesty right, and there's ways to do it so that it doesn't sell very well. Well, so there's a lot of then fake, talk about faking it, there's a lot of that that goes on in all social inter... Oh, what is good manners? Good manners is a form of faking it. I mean, politeness is a form of faking it. I mean, you, you, you are polite to people just to grease the wheels of getting through social interactions without making every one of them a battle or a war or a making a scene. And, of course, you smile in false smiles. And there's ways to do it that are acceptable, and people, that's the game. But you, I mean, you, you actually see every single social interaction as fraught somehow. Yes, they're always fraught. You always can look like a fool in, son of, in front of somebody. Just think of the simplest little thing like a handshake. If you blow a handshake and you're a man with another man and he just gets the end of your fingers and you have a little wimp, you are canceled in the eyes of that other human being. 
or at least you feel that way. And uh, every social encounter, I mean, you, you, you don't know if you have a piece of spinach stuck in your teeth. You don't know if your barn door is down. You don't know if there's a stain on your shirt. But you are, if you have that, you are, in the eyes of the other, that is all you are. Like, remember when you had a big zit? Well, I remember when I had a big zit for, well, like, I had the dance too. in high school. <laughs> sure. Your whole being in your own eyes was that zit. Your soul was that zit. And you knew everybody was trying not to look at it, but they couldn't keep their eyes off it. You know what? I think there are a lot of people in the world that are not as excruciatingly uh, self-aware as you are. Yeah, well, then they're on the spectrum. No. I mean, they're the ones who don't know that they're boring somebody else. They're the ones who don't know that they're not sufficiently self-monitoring to know when they're standing too close, when they're looking at the boobs of the girl too long or something like that. I mean, you know, you gotta, you always have to be self-monitoring. Some of it's so automatic pilot that we don't think about it. But there's always those incidences where something goes slightly wrong and you become hyper-conscious of it. Yeah. Oh, I just like the booger coming out of somebody's nose is supposed to be dignified. And do you tell them, do you tell them that, hey, you better wipe your nose? Um, or do you just stand there and pretend you're not seeing it when all you can see is that <laughs> pulsating greenie? Bill, Bill, I what? always err on the side that you do tell somebody. You do. You do? Yeah. Because... They'll later find out, and then they'll know you didn't. I know. Okay, i got to tell you a story. There is this Israeli academic who is uh, uh, giving a talk here, and he, uh, he and me and one of my colleagues were talking to him, and he has kind of a big pot belly. Uh, not a pot belly, but his, his pants were down below his underpants, and he didn't know it. I mean, his whole butt with a bikini Ben's bikini briefs on were showing. So me and my colleague are sitting there painfully. I mean, the whole room is consumed with this guy doesn't even know his pants are not even sagging, but they're <laughs> way below. I mean, he could get busted for indecent exposure walking down the street. So he walks out of the room, and me and my friend start laughing hysterically. And he, my, my colleague, says to me, why didn't you say something? I said, well, you could have said something, and I, and, and I think I would have said something if it was just me and the other guy, but because my colleague was also there, there yeah. I was waiting for him to say something, and it was just too embarrassing because I knew I'd get the giggles. And so neither of us said anything, and we let the guy walk out down the street to his hotel, basically with his pants down around his knees. <laughs> but I, both of us were sitting there, how does somebody... It, could somebody be that out of it, that out of it about self-monitoring, not to know his pants were down around his knees? <laughs> okay. Uh, I was actually starting to teach a class one day, and I had just been to the bathroom, and you know, you, 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 you. I was wearing a vest that day, and I, the, the, the routine after you urinate is like zip, 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 up, up. But I had one extra move in the thing because I had an extra piece of clothing on, so I, I forgot to zip up, 
and I stand up, I'm sitting behind the desk and waiting for the students to file up, file in, and then I stand up, come around the desk, start the class, and I, and, and this woman in the front row says, uh, 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 Professor Miller, and I look down, and there's a shirt tail sticking out of my barn door, and and I go, oops, and I turn around and ostentatiously zip up, and then I said, let me ask you a question. Do you think it was more embarrassing for you to actually overcome your horror and embarrassment seeing me like that, or was it should be more embarrassing for me? And, of course, it was more embarrassing for her. She couldn't bear it. She couldn't bear it that she actually got the nerve to tell me that I needed to zip up. But once... and, I said, you... and I said to her, do you think anybody else saw? And these guys behind her said, yeah, we saw. Uh, but, you know, you... <laughs> the the you... humiliations <clears throat> of being just a normal day of starting a class. Come on. But you allayed. You did a good deed, actually. You allayed both her and your your humiliation and her. Yes. Uh, yeah, by... there are ways to dance your way out of these things, of course, yes. to make it, right. to, to employ just enough poise and tact to get out of these horrible situations with a joke. You usually can make a joke your way out of it. Well, some Except there are certain can. things, like, do you notice, uh, like I was walking the, the dog, the dog I had about five years ago uh, on an icy day, and I totally wipe out. I mean, where your legs are flying up over your head, you come back down on your back of your neck, and you're lying there, before you can move, trying to think, how many bones did I break? And just You're trying to get your breath back and get up. And, I, of course, the first thing you do is look to see if any – you might be dead, I mean dying. And the only thing you care about is did somebody see you make such an ass out of yourself. So this woman is driving by and sees it, and she says, are you all right? Do you need any help? I said, I was fine until you stopped. Oh, Bill! Well, but because you know why, it's because when you see somebody else wipe out on the ice, your first response is not to wonder, oh, I, 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 are they dead or did they break their neck? It's to get the giggles. Well, it's the banana peel, right? Right, but but yeah, not if sure, they really it's a fall in the movie. Well, I not mean, if you know. they're really wiped out. Listen, I. I'm getting lots of, first of all, um, Laura writes, Bill is making yeah. me laugh so hard. What a card. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and Roger yeah. writes, I love you and your brother and what you've been talking about. Not about you know what or who, unless you're talking <laughs> metaphor. Okay. And then we've got something that's a little too too intense for me, but I'm sending it your way. And then I want to get into gift giving since tis the okay. season, right? Uh, Ray writes, I'm a big Professor Miller fan. His book on disgust is wonderful. Would Thanks. You, yeah. yeah. Would you ask him if he's familiar with John Michael's, Michael's book, M-I-K-H-A-I-L, Elements of Moral Cognition? No, I'm not. And, and it's because, you know, I write a book in a field and then I kind of get back to my real field, which is Old Norse and Icelandic sagas. And I, I uh, once I kind of emit my little say on, on one of these little frolic books, I don't I don't f keep following the course of that area or field. It's a shame on me, but. Um, I, the sagas are better than all that stuff, so I get 
back okay. to that. Okay, but I'll, I'll just continue his, his okay. He says in, in the book he defends Rawls, R-A-W-L, Rawls? Rawls, yeah. Rawls suggesting that there's an innate moral component in, uh, in people, like Chomsky's universal grammar. And then right. Ray says, I'm fascinated by the idea that we all have a moral system hardwired in us, like our visual system. I get nervous about hard. I, I, I'm one of these people who's kind of caught in the middle between kind of uh, nature, uh, culture, and nature. I like what to what extent things are hardwired and what things are not. Um, the there of course is some hardwiring, but there's so many uh, kind of open options available for individual deviance or or strategizing and i don't want to think it's just all blueprinted it can't be it just can't be all blueprinted i'm even one of these types who's willing to think that bees those amazing bees who are dying off um who could you know signal to the uh, uh to the colony how how many bees to send out to get the pollen and stuff like that that it's not all hardwired that there's actually some room for decision making in there so i i i i mean who knows i i'm i i'm willing to leave that to the uh to future generations, to, uh, well, there won't be future generations to solve. <laughs> right. Oh, if only there would be future generations. Okay, yeah. let, let's not go there. Um, okay, tis the season to be jolly. I, I often note that there is nothing more stressful and frenetic and and miserable for most people, I think, than gift giving. I, I mean, oh, yeah, gift giving is anybody who thinks getting giving or getting gifts is a pleasant experience is uh, on the spectrum, I guess. No, I mean, no. it it can be, but boy, is it fraught. And talk about things that can always go wrong. I mean, gift giving is fiercely competitive. And it is, uh, I, I'll tell you a little story from a saga. There's this Viking eagle. And Egil is a great poet, besides being a thug and a killer, but he's a brilliant poet. And he um, is banned, outlawed in Norway, And but he, other younger poets kind of want to talk to him and learn the craft from him. And one uh, of these young kind of, not pupils, but a person he talks poetry with, goes to Norway and gets feted by the Norwegian king. He comes back and wants to thank Egil for teaching him so much poetry, and he uh, Egil isn't home, but he leaves a very expensive gift he got from the Norwegian king, a jeweled, uh, a jeweled shield as a gift for Egil. Egil comes back, the, the Einar, the poet who's giving him the gift, leaves, because he, he cannot, not, the rules are he can't stay longer than three days. So he, he, uh, Egil comes back and says, what's that? He sees this. And they said, well, Einar came and gave this to you in gratitude for your teaching. He said, what does he expect? How does he expect I'm going to be able to repay a gift that valuable? I'm going to go out and kill him instead. <laughs> I mean, in other words, that capturing exactly is the obligation imposed on you by receiving a gift to make a return. You, everybody knows there's no such thing as a free gift. Even a little kid getting a gift from a parent is obliged to repay with good behavior or with a sign of being excited that he got it. And if you don't repay a gift... That is as hostile a gesture, but the gift giving itself is hostile because it demands 
a return. It it makes unilaterally the recipient your debtor. But, Bill, do you not agree that... The burdens of gratitude, you know, the burdens of gratitude. And little Crete tis the season to be jolly. I want to know what person out there with siblings didn't first look to see what brother and sister got to make sure they could be actually happy with the gift they got? Oh, jeez. Bill. Because there's a little competition going on there, too. I, I just want to insert a really radical idea that sometimes, you know, you see something and you think, oh, so-and-so would love this, and there is nothing competitive going on. There is, oh, wow. I no, you just think you're doing a kind deed to that person, but that person might not perceive it as such because that person even might perceive it as such, but it also imposes a burden on that person to compensate for it, to have to repay it. You know what we call, you know, people who don't repay kindnesses done to them are jerks. Somebody does you a favor, you have to do them a favor in return. Somebody gives you a gift, you got to give them a gift in return. And this is why dating is so fraught with who picks up the check. Yeah. So, I mean, but, you know, it's it, always been this. I mean, you no, know. No, it hasn't. It, you know why? It's fun. It, you know, gift giving is so dangerous, so dangerous, that we only allow it to take place about six days out of the year. A birthday, Christmas. And then phony little merchants' holidays like Mother's Day or Father's Day. And then perhaps the most fraught one, Valentine's Day, where you give a Valentine. Remember, like when I was a oh, kid was and awful. when you were a kid, that was awful. where we didn't even have to give everybody in the class a Valentine, no. and then there would be one little kid who got none. none. Or right. then they made the rule that everybody had to get a Valentine, and then you, the kids would manage to give the, the creepy kid or the poor kid all the ripped ones. And so, I mean, there was a fierce competition over who collected the best and most expensive Valentines and stuff like that. I'm you re- think you're going to... And you, you, weenie you, when it's the go to a world where there's no competition, oh, yes, yes, or a world where it's all just gifts. Oh, God, come on, Nino. Okay, well, listen, I mean, Bill. Lynn. All right, listen, yes. Bill. Um, I Now I'm recalling that Ages ago, I had you on the show at this time of year to talk about gift giving, and I was deluged with outraged listeners. Um, oh, of course, yeah, sure. Who just don't? I mean, they're is, not, I they mean, don't I, yes, like you can it. have a normalized relationship between peoples who are already have negotiated this terrain where they know and understand what each one can give or not give to the other. So yes, you kind of, because the area is so dangerous, you develop rules and and understandings around it so that things run smoothly. A lot of these exchanges run smoothly, but they have to be negotiated. I mean, between parent and child, they're automatically there, right? Yeah. But even then, you can see that you give, like, I, I have four kids, and it was so funny to watch. One of them, it was such fun to give a gift to because she would almost faint. Her, she lose her breath with excitement that she couldn't believe that she got this thing that she was wishing for. The other, one of the other kids, no matter what you got him, that he, you knew he wanted, he was almost tearful, disappointed. The actual 
anticipating was so much better than the actual getting that he went into a funk. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't, you you know, and, and if we say like, okay, you, you want to shift to God gives us gifts. We have to pray to him and thank him, endlessly thank him. But what does it mean to give a gift when you have infinity to give from? Doesn't a gift have to hurt a little bit? If you have infinity and can give from it, then you're never depleting any resources you have. So is that a gift? No, it's a means of control. No? Yep. Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah. Okay, let's get off this uh, this frightening topic. Okay, you, you, are you going to get assassinated for? No, I'm. No, I'm, no, 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 no. I went, You know what? I was talking when I was doing my, you know, my. Why can't everybody get along? My Rodney King thing about why is everybody competitive? Winners, losers, and you know, then I remembered vaguely a story you told about some, you know, some culture in which. If there was a dispute, there'd be a like sing-off. Well, competitive, a competitive gift giving. Yeah, no, where sing-off. it's open. Which, sing-off. Yeah, which uh, these are the Northwest Pacific Indians in the Pacific Northwest. This is an anthropological. Uh, this was a touchstone of early anthropology in the in the late 19th century. Uh, some uh, a custom called potlatch, in oh, which the big guys in a in a community would compete as to who the biggest guy was by who could give away the most. And so it was fiercely competitive and hostile. I mean, I, and what it ended up being was like you would absolutely impoverish yourself by saying, oh, you can give, you can give 85 blankets. Well, I will not only give 85 blankets, I will burn right now in front of your very eyes, torch 20 gallons of fish oil. And so they got into kind of, it was understood to be destructive of their own property and wealth. And then whoever won that contest got such honor that everybody gave them gifts in return. <laughs> so, I mean, you know. <laughs> but at least that was a culture that was openly honest about the competitive nature and the fierce, like, uh, underpinning, the dark underbelly of gift exchange. Okay, but that is not the thing I was remembering. I was remembering oh. some two people like singing at each other. Oh yeah, Eskimo song duels. Thank yeah. you. What are those? Well, that I mean, you, 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 it's basically kind of rap content. It's like a rap. Yeah, it's that's yeah. exactly what it, it is. Yeah, and it's but you you but those aren't you make up poems about your uh, about how what a weenie the other one is or how great you are okay. and the other one has to answer back but the Norse were great the Vikings were very good at this too and it was kind of mutual uh, uh, a poetry contest and of course you give a gift of the poem to how these Icelanders made their uh, made their uh, kind of st uh, acquired standing in, in Scandinavian courts was they were the court poets and the kings would reward them greatly for any verse that they composed honoring the, the, the king. So, I mean, a, po a poem or a song can be a gift, of course. Of course. And then these poets would compete with each other as to who was best. And one of the ways they competed each other is not to claim that they were better, but to claim that the other guy was an idiot. I'm remembering, you know, actually, Bill, I'm remembering uh, Susan was v very young, um, and 
her giving me a gift, maybe it was my birthday, it was like she gave me something of hers or something. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> and then, and I was so blown away. Oh my gosh, Susan, thank you. And then it was like about 10 minutes later. She, she said, wanted it back. Yeah, she said, now give it back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you know, there's an. Uh, uh, this is I, I racially insensitive, but I, I want to bring it, it up. When Don't we were growing up, it. we had the idea of oh. what was called Indian giver. That was somebody who gave you a gift and wanted, uh, it, wanted back it back, or wanted that something back in return. Yeah. What they were, of course, uh, misunderstanding was the uh, the rules in those cultures that every gift demands a return. And what they they were just, those cultures are just more honest about the obligations created by a gift than we are, where the same obligations are imposed. So uh, I remember anyway. you saying once, so somebody, oh, so and so has invited us to dinner. Yeah, great! Isn't that wonderful? That means you have to have them back to dinner, even if they're the most boring human beings on earth. And then what happens? As they have you back again, and then you end up friends with the most having to exchange constant dinners with the most boring human beings on the planet. Unless you behave uh, badly. badly, unless you signal very strongly that you do not want this to continue, okay. which is playing like you wait and wait beyond the proper time to issue an invitation, a, a return invitation, or you have them over with other kind of pathetic souls that they can see how they rank you know i mean who knows i don't want to sound like i'm a jerk i'm i'm not like this no you're just i'm not like this i'm just describing other people <laughs> <laughs> in fact i find this whole stuff all these social interactions so painful right. that i just sit and read books in my room <laughs> oh, that's what i do i'm a recluse except you do when pulled out of that, you you enjoy people's company often. Only if there's plenty of alcohol. Well, that's true. But it's so you need. Some, I can't do it straight. Well, because it's you're just too, too painful. Because you're too yeah. sel you're too aware. You you see things. I mean, you're you're just. I'm sorry. You're like uh, you know. It's an affliction. But it's not just worrying about whether you're screwing up. It's watching other people right. screw up I and agree. then feeling so embarrassed on their behalf you can't stand it. Like that poor girl in my in front in the front row in my class who had to look at me with the with my shirt tail hanging out of my barn door. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, her pain was a hundred times worse than my pain. Yeah. And she didn't do anything wrong. She just had to witness me being uh, incompetent. Well, she did the right thing. She really did do the right thing, don't you think? Well, I mean, she was, it was, who knows what her motives. She was obviously oh. in such discomfort looking at me being such an embarrassment. The idea of her having to take this man standing up there who doesn't even know how to function to, to dress properly and, and take him as an authority on, on a course she's taking was just too much for her. It just sent her world into a tailspin. I'm gonna, so who knows? I'm going to introduce a happy topic. Yeah. Uh -huh. This is a quote from an Irish journalist. The social contract between humans and dogs 
might be the best bit of business we have ever done. Well, you know, if you get me on dogs, uh, uh, you will just have a, a, a love song. Um, there are no creatures. Well, I, I mean, all of the animals are wonderful, but dog, I, I don't think you know what love is unless you have a dog. <laughs> yeah. Love with of a human is war. I mean, it's it's very it's in it's very close to war, whereas the very same things that would be war with a human when a dog's like bad or doesn't please you, you think it's funny. Like the, I, like I, the picture I, you sent me of your the, the picture I sent you last night of the couch. dog who who'd eaten our couch. Yeah, or my dog ate the couch. And sitting there with a guilty look on her face. <laughs> <laughs> and you just get the giggles. What can you do? You thousand get, bucks you, you down get, the drain. You and get, you just get the giggles. Right. You get the giggles. Did Kathy get the giggles? No, she well <laughs> even she thought it was funny because the poor look on the dog's face when she's yelling at him at her. I mean, it was like Okay. <laughs> we we have a caller, Bill. So let's let's let the caller in. Yeah. Hi, caller. Uh, hi. Hey, Lynn. Hey, Bill. It's Mike in D.C. Hi. Hi. Hi, Mike. So I think that social norm about if you've been invited to a party, you get an invite back is changing. Either that or I'm on the spectrum and nobody likes me. <laughs> but I have parties a lot and rarely get an invitation back. Oh, my. Oh, my, my. And you're, you're, you haven't picked up on the signals yet, huh? Or just now? I know. I should yeah. stop having parties. Another thing that's changed, too, is hostess gifts. People show up at the door. There's yeah. nothing in their hand. Oh, no. And I that... think, on what trailer park were you raised? Yeah, I know. Like, and sometimes it's a Christmas party, like a tree trimming party. And they come without even so much as an ornament. So I don't think it's me. I think it's just the. You know, the culture is, in every kind of way. I, I mean, one of the ways of forfending the obligation to have to invite somebody back and have a party yourself if you're not a party giver was, of course, to come with a bottle of wine or a bottle of whiskey or something to help defray the expenses just to contribute. Yeah. Um, but if you don't do even that, gee whiz, you know. I mean, there are certain circumstances where it's understood you don't, but there are certain circumstances where it's understood you should bring something. Well, I don't isn't know. This just All more, these rules are under stress. Huh? Isn't, isn't this just more indication of sort of like, uh, you know, the end, the decline of Western civilization? The decline of everything, yeah. Isn't it? I mean, you know, some people are uncomfortable giving uh, parties and, and or can't cook. And, yeah, me. Yeah, but I don't know. But if you keep having everybody over and there's no reciprocation, does that piss you but off, But it isn't Mike? just that. It's lots of little things. Like, yeah. you know, when you, when someone kind of approaches a table and you don't know them, as a guy, you're supposed to stand and extend your hand and say, hi, my name is Mike, right? And not stay seated at your table. You're so... That is even wrong. You're a throwback. You know what? Yeah. We don't live in such a decorous kind of culture. Well, everybody's just looking at their iPhones. I mean, nobody's no, nobody understands social interaction anymore. You know, I mean, well, I, I think walking down the street, nobody even gets out of your way because they're not even looking to see if anybody's coming. But I mean, so what kind of world of self-involvement? Yeah. Total I mean, self-involvement. world of self-involvement. Total self-involvement. No wonder we elected a narcissist. He's right. just a reflection of who we are. Right. And that stuff has to be taught. That social etiquette and social it has interaction to be has to be taught. Right. 
you like learned, when you, my dad would my dad's friend would be there i'd be a little boy and the guy would say what's your kid's name and my dad would say ask my son and he'd say what's your name and i'd say michael and he'd say michael shake so-and-so's hand and i'd put my little hand up and shake his hand yeah. all of that stuff has to be taught yeah. including not calling grown-ups by their first name which annoys the crap out of me you're a little kid you should call me mr so-and-so that's how I was raised. I don't like even that. Do you know, though, and when I, know I school, you know but... what? I tried to enforce that when my son was young. And I would say, um, they, would, they would say, hi, my name is, you know, Jean. And I would say, no, please, uh, this Sam, this is Mrs. So-and-so or something. I, and the, the other, the adult would, you know, say, no, no, no. You know, so the, you were... You were stymied if you tried to teach a child that kind of behavior, it seems. No? Yeah. But it yeah, still has yeah. to be taught. I mean, in, in order for the next generation to get it, that you go into a party, you have to take something. You're sitting with somebody in a car, you have to have a conversation with them. That stuff has to be taught. I didn't come out of the womb learning that stuff. Well, you know, there's teaching it, but there's also just uh, uh, people uh, observe the universe they're in and see how to negotiate it and see what the rules are. You don't have to tell everybody what the rules are. You certainly don't tell everybody the rules of grammar and structure of language. They just learn it. And so they should with social interaction what the norms and, and proper forms are. Um, if they're given the example, if they see enough of the examples, they will internalize them. If they're not given any examples, then they'll internalize the new style of what it is. I mean, you know, that's a problem of culture reproducing itself to what extent it reproduces itself. And, of course, it changes over time. So we're never quite reproducing the prior generation. There's, you know, historical change in uh, manners, too. Those I hope those robots do better at reproducing than we've well, done. Well, they can program. They can do it. Maybe do it. <laughs> Jesus. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. You're welcome, Good Mike. Good to hear from you. Um, Chuck, first of all, Chuck writes, Bill, that he, he thinks the guy with his pants down uh, knew that his pants were down. No, it was quite clear he didn't. That was what was so – I mean, it wasn't somebody put it, trying to uh, – uh, make a little kind of guerrilla theater scene or to kind of press the norms. It was somebody who was utterly clueless. Okay. We do. Go ahead. We do know, I mean, that we do rank people, you know, uh, social interactions are complicated. Just think of all the rules that if you were to write a rule book for the rules of eye contact, you could, the book would be 10,000 pages long. We have every microgradation of how long you can look at, measured in nanoseconds. And we can't, we don't quite know what the rules are to state them positively, but we know when somebody's violating them. That is, when, if they're looking too, too long, long at you or meeting your eye a little too much, um, we start to think they're creepy. And when we start to think people are creepy because they don't have the eye rules down that's like formulating that we know that some rule has been violated so we we, we kind of appreciate the vi understand and perceive violations of these norms on some people better than others i mean some people just don't get it 
But and it, isn't that eye, like the eye contact thing, isn't that, wouldn't that be sort of hardwired? That'd be hardwired. No, it's, wired. again, it's, it's, it's animals very, I do mean, that. it I becomes mean, second nature. But notice people who blink too much. I think I do. Yeah. Or notice people, or once you start to become conscious or self-conscious about whether you're meeting somebody's eyes, you just can't get it right. There's just a way you're always you're just going to be uncomfortable. It has to be occup- uh, happen as second nature. But if somebody tells you, so I saw myself on videotape once. I, you know, I give these lectures and stuff, and I said to the person, geez, I saw myself and got ill. I didn't know that I made so many faces when I talked. So I tried to monitor after that to be self-conscious about not making my face go through so many moves when I talked. And I got just uh, pathetically just, um, you know, kind of tied up in knots of self-consciousness. Yeah. I mean, trying to look like a, you know, a dead kind of, uh, you know, Scandinavian newscaster or something with no emotions on their face instead of this, uh, you know, Mediterranean, you know, volatile type. And I I just, I self, I I cannot look at myself on on a movie or videotape without getting ill. I mean, I get ill. Well, I think a lot of us would, uh, would understand that. Also, Chuck says, regarding gift giving, I'd like to add to the conversation by saying that convenient online shopping and front door delivery has removed the intimacy of gift giving. Uh, You will feel better about your gift giving if you make the shopping more of a tactile experience. You agree with that? Yeah, you know, that's interesting because, again, that's an interesting observation. And the reason is is because in, in many ways this whole not having to deal with an actual human in this and have it all done Internet-wise solves a lot of problems, too, of the anxiety of right. face-to-face handing over and seeing the other person having to fake gratitude or fake surprise or they open the gift and it turns out to be something they don't like at all and they have to feign being, oh, how wonderful it is and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it actually makes our lives a whole lot poorer if a whole lot easier. Um, they sure make it easier, uh, the, the new way of doing stuff. But it, 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 it then c- continues this decline of ability Uh-oh. to know how to socially, you know, <laughs> To engage in the complexities of social interaction (laughs) with any skill, poise, and tact. Right, and and people are uh, younger. People are probably getting worse and worse and worse at it. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Well, it's preparing us for yeah, being cyborgs and robotized. Um, uh, Another bill writes bill. I applaud. I applaud Bill's take on gift giving. Finally, someone speaking the truth. My husband and I have stopped giving on those special days. <laughs> if if I see something during the year that I think he'd like, I'll buy it or surprise him with a gift certificate. It works out much better. Yeah. You know, I asked my students, like, in a class, I said, suppose, like, and I'll just pick, I'll assume heteronormativity. I'll, t- I'll say to some guy, to some woman, I said, suppose the guy sitting next to you just shows up tomorrow with a gift-wrapped present for you you know just the random day what would you do god and and they just like i said you you know the reaction was what the hell's this what, yeah huh? what's yeah. this about 
Right. That's what your reaction would be. Yeah. Not pleasure. No. Actually, uh, you know, it'd be. It would be. Chester would and, be. You realize you're yeah. dealing with somebody who so <laughs> misunderstands the rules that yeah. it would be scary. Yeah, it would be scary. This is a future stalker you're dealing with, huh? Right. Jeez. So, Bill. And then what if it turns out to be a gift instead of a book or something like that? Let's say a sweater. A piece of clothing, much more closer to the body, even more curvy, right? More curvy? Curve, perverted. Oh, pervy. I couldn't think what you were saying. Well, yeah. it's, yeah, yeah. But, oh, God, Bill, okay. Did I ever get Hey, look, I don't know. You know, when you're my age now, you don't even know. I, You know what I did? I bought, when we were in Green Bay, you know, this last uh, two weeks ago, yeah. I uh, bought in Walgreens a nasal hair clipper <laughs> and an ear clipper, an electric thing, and it, because I realized that, you know, these things that are coming out of your ears and nose, because your eyes aren't good enough anymore, you could have, like, uh, you know, remember those typewriter brushes that you used to, yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I had a colleague year, years ago who looked like he had stuffed two typewriter brushes, uh, the <laughs> handle end up into his nose, with the hairs coming out of his nose, looked like a typewriter brush. And I thought, how do you not see this and take care of it? And then you get to that age yourself. And you've and got you realize, a typewriter brush. <laughs> oh, no, I got hair coming out of my ears. And, you know, and it'll be just one hair, you know, coming way out, like a mile out. And so I, I got this thing and i was embarrassed like to go to the checkout lane with it you know and so i and i made some joke to the girl at the checkout and she didn't even think you know no i mean she didn't respond i, no, mean, I was no. just obviously ill at ease it was your discomfort. and then the damn thing i you know, stick it up my nose to kind of like get those nasal hairs stick it in my ears to get the ear hairs and then the battery runs out i mean i it, it stopped it didn't work it didn't work. And it was, yeah, and it was, and guess what? Who was on the cover of the packaging recommending it? Brett Favre. How dare he? So Favre was, re re yes, was putting his name, good old number four, behind a defective product. But it's 10 bucks, so what are you going to do? I'd already thrown away the packaging. It, it, you're going to take it back? No, no. You just got hosed for 10 bucks by a, a Brett Favre uh, advertised product. Well, you know, I, I, Susan and I actually talked about this, um, how, and for women, we start sprouting, you know, hairs coming out of our chin that we might not see because we ain't looking for them until they're like an inch long. And well, then they'll, but, but it, it, it's amazing you didn't get burned as a witch before that. I happened. know, not by the hair yeah. at my chinny chin chin. And chin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, so growing old is, is, is no fun. But I, Bill, speaking of growing what? old, I want to, uh, there's something in the New York Times today. This is, uh, it's about a woman who has just died, but she was 107, okay? Yeah. Uh, and it says here the first line is Mastanama, that's her name, got her yeah. big got her big break at age one hundred five. She was cooking God. like she does. Um yeah. and her great grandson 
said, can I film you doing that? And then I'm going to explain what you're doing, and then I'm going to, and he posted it on YouTube. And yeah, and it went viral? She became, no, she became actually a YouTube star. Uh, oh, no kidding. Isn't that cute? No, at okay. 105. Uh, well, you know, we, we got somebody in our family we could do that with. Maybe, so, you know. maybe, maybe we should put her up on uh, on YouTube. And it says here she was born, um, uh, okay, so she was born 107 years ago. She was married at 11. Oh, my. She was widowed at 22. Well, that's lucky, at least. She only had to put up with 11 years. She had five children at 22. Yeah. Four of whom died of disease. She worked carrying 200-pound sacks of rice on her back. Um... She, you know, the people who watched her, she would sit by this open air. She lived in a hut. And there's a picture of her here. It's, you know, she peeled ginger with her thumbs. She'd uh, store bird eggs in her sari. Uh, And and I don't know, she has, there's a picture here of a big watermelon. and, And she's, it's sitting on a fire and she's got a chicken inside of it. Oh hell, that ain't nothing. I had to walk to school through my, through <laughs> 17 feet of snow, and we didn't even keep track of wind chill in those days. That was for weenies. We just marched off to school in Green Bay with a miserable, you know, minus 25 degrees, and we survived. Here we are. I mean, you can tell those stories about it, but I guess she, that, she, that's pretty you know. cool. I mean, you're 105 yeah. and you become an international star. And you live in a Well, I think, I think we could do this with uh, our, our dear mother. Maybe. She might be listening. I tried to tell her how to get the show, and she said, oh, I won't be able to do it. But, but she had a life of zero hardship. So, That's I mean, true. you can't tell the story of hardship with her. No. It's just that what she is is a, a larger-than-life um, character. Uh, character with such physical uh strength and health that it's just uh her one worry you know i'm sure you told is that she will her children her three children will predecease her and i think it's getting more and more likely (laughs) i know it's so scary because we're a bunch of old farts now and yeah it's scary and we're none of us but it won't make her you know she'll be she'll be very unhappy for a couple of weeks after each (laughs) one of us plop But then her innate cheerfulness and happiness and love of life will just take over. She cannot mourn very long. If so, she's and it's not like she'll forget us. No, she'll still, you know, if she has a vodka or two, she'll get lacrimose and, and, and say how much she misses us. But then, you know, five minutes later, she'll be having enjoying her life again. If she's listening, she is screaming at her computer. Well, she yelled, oh, did she yell at me this last trip? Oh, God, did she yell at me. She blew up when I told her for the 55th time that she'd already told me that story uh, enough already. I said, you've already told me, and she just blew up at me. Good. Because, Bill, you repeat yourself, too. We all do. We all do. And I think when people start repeating themselves, you're supposed to grin and bear it. No, do you never notice, though, how you don't know how many times you've told somebody a story, but you always remember 
if they've told it to you. So somebody could have told you a story eight years ago, and if they start it up again, you'll say, I know, you told me. And that doesn't deter them. They'll keep telling it to you. But we have this absolutely, I think, just brilliant uh, memory capacity for knowing when we've heard somebody else tell us something and that they are repeating themselves. But we have no clue who we've told X, Y, and uh, this story to even within three days of having told it. That's true. To them. It's just uncanny. We, I mean, we are so alert to when we are being bored by somebody repeating themselves to us, and we have no clue about how boring we are to <laughs> others when we repeat stuff to them. I always wonder, do boring people get bored by other bores? And of course they do. A boring person is just somebody who has no sense of how boring they are to somebody else, when we all can be boring to somebody else, but they don't ever have a clue to that. Oh, but of course they can get bored by another bore. God, how would you like to win that competition? That is like one of the great. The, I mean, one of the great mysteries of life. Do bores bore each other? <laughs> <laughs> and you know how some people. I mean, I, I, we all know them. In fact, we might be one. In fact, this show might be going on so long as to. I think it's actually kind of run out of gas right now. But here, here's like, like when you see other people's eyes wandering and they're trying to back off of a conversation right. with you right. and you still kind of keep like m talking faster and more urgently to keep them and you know those things happen true and then there are some people some i work with that if you see them coming down the hall you quit try and find a way to run the other way because there are some people who are so boring that when they say hello your mind starts to wander between the hell and the low I mean, the people who t start out a story by saying, "This, I got a story that'll really make you laugh." Well, then you know you're dealing with a bore. I always tell people who start, don't ever start like that because you've, you know, you've created an expectation. First of all, you, you, you absolutely impose a thankless obligation on the person you're telling it to to, to give laugh. a meaningless laugh right. to your boring story. Okay, listen, I want to tell you something. I had what? you on the sh I wanted you on the show today because what I've been doing when I'm doing the show by myself, I, I get so depressed. I don't know how you do it. Well, I, 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 I don't, don't know, know how you haven't either. shot yourself actually well, yet. Oh, I just get really depressed. So and yeah. and the show's depressing. And um and I knew that if you were on that you know, I'd depress everybody else. No, you'd make me laugh. I mean, mostly oh. you make me laugh. Although, um, yeah, some of what well, we make each other laugh. That's why we, we, well, we, we, right. we've been doing that since we've been uh, little kids. Right. So, <laughs> I might ask. <laughs> I might ask you again. I'm, I am now throwing myself on the on the mercies of my my siblings to you know buck me up here. It is just too much too much so um and i also agree with you that we were starting to run out of steam i have the same yeah i have the same antennae right up above. yeah i do uh, too we're both very 
aware of that, but you have not. You're been. always better off as, leaving. leaving people wanting a little more of you than, than less of you. That's correct. So you're always better off of like uh, departing faster than otherwise, right. dying younger, you know? Right. So I, We all do people a favor when we die with people. Oh, he still had so much potential. He had so much to give. Oh, yeah, right. Bill. Listen, what? you have a lot to give, too, and so I thank you, and I think mostly it, this was uh, totally um, enjoyable. At least it was for me, and, that, and if I'm having a good time, I always assume everybody else is having a good time. Is that... Is that oh, awesome? that's just fault. That's, that is what <laughs> I mean. Oh. No. I mean, I'm okay. having a good time. You know, I love when it's gloomy, bad weather, because everybody... And I actually don't mind bad weather. I actually think it's fun. And I, I, I mean, it's just like, what's wrong with getting rained on? What's right, wrong exactly. with it being blistering cold? Yeah. And the pleasure of everybody else being miserable, there is a kind of a delight. Schadenfreude just makes the world go round. You know, it's the pleasure we take yeah, in other yeah, people's yeah, yeah. misery. Uh, misery. Well, how did you get there from when I said... I had a enjoyable well, I don't time, want and I you assumed miserable, other. But, uh, but I don't. But no, you know what? The definition of a friend is. I I'm, tell this to my students, and they're horrified. A friend is somebody who you you exchange, you agree to take turns boring each other. But you, it's somebody who you always want to be doing just a little bit worse than you are. Not a Bill? whole lot worse, oh, because God, then you I don't want them for a friend. Then they're a loser. Like but you want, a real friend is somebody who you just want the one a little bit worse. Okay, all right. Occasionally you'll let the you'll you'll let them be a little do a little better as a kind of a gift. But mostly like eighty twenty, you want to be doing just okay. a little bit better. How did you do that? I was I was going to say thank you. That was wonderful, and you managed to end on this totally sour negative, note. sour, I, I, misanthropic, horrible note that I do not agree with. I really don't. Oh. You know, I always get a Bill. kick out of it. So I was walking a dog in the park, and somebody, this is in Ann Arbor, Michigan, somebody comes up to me, some guy, and says, are you, are you Lynn Cullen's brother? <laughs> I said, in my home turf, <laughs> I am only known as my oh, sister's brother. Come on. Who and although I was tickled by it, I was a little bit pissed. Sure, I don't so there. You. Well, listen, there's, uh, listen, all right, that is, you are much more noteworthy than I, Bill. I'm just, you know, known in this little small pond, right? By more people, yes, but I'm known by people situated in a wider parts of the world, but if you add up the number of people who know you and the number of people who know me, you're way ahead. You're known by more people in the Pittsburgh region than I am known by people in right. the world. Although I am known by some people like, let's say, in Slovenia or something like that. Well, I had a caller from Dubai yesterday. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of competition. Yeah, so right, you yeah. just, so right. you see? Yeah. Oh, Lynn's not competitive. She just beat her brother who said Slovenia by coming up with Dubai, that she actually got a call from Dubai. So you're beating me on that too, see? Yeah. And I, Besides I, I, me being known as your brother in Ann Arbor. Okay. Hey, Bill, I'm here to tell yeah. you we've actually gone over 
our oh, time. Okay, okay. Well, no, Bye. and I really, Bill, what? thank you, what? thank you. And you know, I don't yeah, know. If yeah. you, did your wife tell you that I'm I'm intending to come with my dog to your house sometime in the holiday season? Good. I am. I just. I want, love your dog. I know. I love your dog too. They can eat the rest of the couch together. Why yeah, don't you yeah. leave it around so they can finish it off? That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a true gift to the dogs. Okay, thank you, really. Thank you Bye. so much. Bye. Bye. Uh, my brother. And, and thank you. Uh, and I'll hope to regenerate over the weekend and uh, come back solo on Monday. Tuesday, my sister will be here. Thursday, Sally Wiggins coming in to uh, join us. And that should be fun. Okay? Bye. Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.